Hola. I'm Mariana. I'm James. I'm Simon. And this is El Cine. I am so excited for this week's episode. This week, we're with a boss of boss ladies. She's a showrunner. She's walking the walk, talking the talk. She promotes proper inclusion, inclusion of everyone. Uh, she is a role model in this industry. She's the showrunner for Queen of the South, Daylin Rodriguez. I love talking to her, uh, also just about her journey and how she started in performing arts and moved into writing and more behind the camera. And I think this is a great chat for anyone trying to get into any business where there isn't enough representation in numbers. Uh, I love Daylin's approach to making television, her taste, and all the shows that influenced her. This is pure uh, television talk to the finest. We talk about Que Pasa USA and all the shows that influenced a lot of the things we're watching now. So I hope you'll love this chat as much as I do in this special episode of El Cine. Welcome. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about you. Um, I am originally from New York City. Uh, I was born in New York and Manhattan in Washington Heights, made famous by Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical In the Heights. I love um, that musical. <laughs> yeah. I actually have never seen it. I'm ashamed of myself. Oh, it's but you know what? It's a good read as much as it is oh, an good. actual show. Good to yes. know. I should read it. Uh, I think he's finally making it into a, a movie. Yeah, it's taken that. a long time. I kind of wanted to turn around. Um, and uh, my parents were Cuban. They immigrated here in the 70s. And uh, so I grew up sort of New York, New Jersey, went to NYU for um, Tisch School Yards for dramatic writing. And uh, now I uh, write for television. Yeah, and you're the yeah. fifth Latina showrunner ever, right? I believe it's five. I, I, I think that's right. If I, I do my math correctly, I, I think it is five. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you um, you are now showrunning Queen of the South. Yeah, I'm co-showrunning with another writer who's a Latino man, which is awesome. He's been on the show since the first season. I came on on the second season. And um, we're kind of rebooting the show. Uh, studio felt like because it was so such a grand task that to help a couple uh, help me as a newbie, uh, they suggested sort of uh, what about co-show running? And uh, um, at first, I kind of balked at it because I went into my like, "You're being a sexist. Yeah. You're being this and you're being that." And then I was like, "You know what? I don't. Do I really want to do this job by myself? It's really hard." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, "And I love this person, and he's super talented, and and yeah. uh, we started, and we're getting along like gangbusters, and it's really good. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. Oh, well, thank you for being here. I um, am such a huge fan. Also, I think. Um, Ugly Betty is my was my entire life. Like I feel yeah. like there was a, a time that I didn't leave the house and only watched Ugly <laughs> Betty. And then the day that it was like the last episode, 
I remember I closed myself in my room. It was like all dark, and then was the last episode, and then I just started crying because it ended, and yeah. I had felt such a loss. It's the only show I've ever left that I kept watching after I left. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, we had like a regime change uh, after the first season, and that happens a lot in this business. The new showrunner wants to bring in their own people, and that's how it goes. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. How it goes. Um, yeah. Tell us. Uh, a little bit about uh, just how that was that your first job no 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 so um, uh, I started uh, I applied to a the Disney fellowship which is basically like a a diversity program to find new talent. All the studios have them, but mm-hmm. Disney is, is sort of um, is number one the most well paid yeah um, and the most well known um, I applied to that program a few years after college and uh, through the program, my first job was on the George Lopez show. So I actually started in half-hour comedy. That's amazing. Um, so I was on that for – the first season of George Lopez was only four episodes, which is – now that doesn't seem weird. But back then, it's it was yeah. an oddity. Yeah. yeah. And um, I stayed on for basically the first season, which was four episodes, and then two more seasons. And then I left to go do another sitcom for the same production company, um, Freddie Prince Jr. had a sitcom oh, yeah. called Freddie. Yeah, <laughs> I worked on that, and then um, I made the transition to one hour uh, through Ugly Betty. Do you have a preference? I don't think I had the right personality to be in that in the comedy writers room. I'm not particularly. I'm I'm a I'm a comic writer, but I'm not a comedy writer, which is yeah. there's a difference. I'm not a joke writer. I sort of write just. I can write comically, which is there's a difference, yeah. and. Um, the the single camera comedy is very specific and uh i felt frustrated a lot of times uh so i don't have a pro- i mean honestly i watch mostly comedies yeah <laughs> i think it's because i work in drama and i work on such a heavy drama with like a lot of violence and stuff yeah. like that that um i find myself watching half hours more than i do one hours um just yeah to feel better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think so. That, me too. I've got into a crazy show recently, and I thought, why Why am I doing this? And yeah. I thought, well, it's because everything else is so heavy Well, nowadays. I think also because I write drama. Yeah. Like, I, I need a, a respite from it sometimes. Like, yeah. I totally get that. And I and I, I feel like there are those shows that are such, like, a beautiful mix of the two things. Yeah. Which Ugly Betty essentially kind of was that. Ugly Betty, Jane the Virgin. I think yeah. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend does that. I, yeah. I think there are certain shows Parenthood that do Parenthood does it. that. Parenthood does it. Grey's yeah. Anatomy does it. Yeah. You know, when you can have just a little bit of levity in moments, I think... Um, that's kind of my jam. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and I feel like that's the most human experience. And I totally relate to you about the comic versus uh, the comedic writing versus being a comic. That's yeah. such a huge struggle. I think a lot of people in this industry sometimes, like I know that I have wanted to take a route into comedy, but then feeling the being around comics and being like, oh my god, I there's yeah. so much, and it's, it's not a beast. bad thing, no, no, but no, no, it's like it's I'm so much more of an introvert than that. Yeah, and and in my experience, and I'm generalizing, of course, um, comedians are really competitive, and yeah. when you're in a room with a lot of people trying to make people laugh, it and it's constant, it becomes exhausting. Yeah, and I just was like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, I yeah, totally yeah, understand. Yeah. Um, so. One of the questions we ask here all the time is, if there was a movie to be made of your life, what genre would it be and who Jesus. would play you? It's a heavy one. What's the question? Wait, so if there was what a movie? What genre would it be? What genre would it be? And who would play you? Uh, and it could be, so I went with, like, 
um, what did I what did I say? I think I, oh somebody said a fool's rush in Salma Hayek. I was like fun i could see that but maybe a little bit i'd like jodie foster's my favorite yeah so. this one's hard for me yeah. <laughs> uh i have such a weird upbringing full of a lot of tragedy yeah a lot of humor that like I, you'd have to find that person that could do the tragedy and humor but isn't that funny that that's what you were just saying yeah, is yeah, yeah. what your what your thing is yeah it's mostly because i feel like um i had to have a sense of humor to deal with the tragedy yeah <laughs> me too <laughs> Um, maybe there's a world that it's like, uh, you see, I would say the Coen brothers, but it wasn't absurd enough. So oh, I it's, love the Coen brothers it's so sort much. of like, um, like a dark comedy. Yeah. It would be like a dark comedy. Yeah. It would be maybe like a Latino version of the Coen brothers. <laughs> that's amazing. Something like that. Yeah, would that's work. perfect. Like in the crime world, but everything goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I think that's about right. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. love that. Yeah. I love that. I love flawed criminals. That's the good. That, that, that's the perfect. Well, yes, that was my father. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. That's yeah. amazing. Um, okay, so then the other question we always ask is, what is diversity to you? Uh, that's a really interesting question that me and my co-showrunner have been um, discussing a lot because I think that there's a problem that's going on right now in the industry and it is a overcorrection in the other direction mm -hmm. um, that rhymed um, <laughs> uh, diversity is a room that looks like America diversity is not oh I'm doing a Latino show so every single person in this room is Latino yeah I have a problem with that too that's not diversity now we're doing what people have done to us for decades yeah so, uh, to me, diversity is a room that looks like a Benetton Anne from the 80s. You know what I mean? And so it's like, to me, diversity is about having inclusion because you want all POVs from all sides, all sides of the spectrum, including if you're writing a show about a Latin woman, which I'm writing, or you're writing a show about a black family. It's still important to get other perspectives out of there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And even if you feel like that writer doesn't quite have the perspective that works, it's inter interesting to get somebody to question why you write the way you do, why you're writing these characters the way you do, and teach somebody yeah. this is why we do this. This is this is a um, issue in our community. You can learn from this. I mean, if we start pushing out uh caucasian people in rooms it's a huge mistake we're, yeah. we're we're defeating the purpose and then i have a serious issue with that so yeah. there has to be a place where we're all sort of working together right in, in an yeah. ideal world we're all working together diversity is just to have voices from all sides and hey and that includes um you know, uh, people with uh, learning disabilities, people that are um, disabled uh, or handicapable, whatever the PC word is. I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. But, like, you know, it's just, like, it includes everything. And it's hard because you're creating – I had to hire a writer's room, so it's, like, you – it's almost impossible. You can't. I mean, it's like in an ideal world, there are Asian people and yeah, American people. Yeah. I mean, it's not possible, but you, you try and reach the best you can, yeah. right? Um, that includes women, LGBTQ, all that stuff. But it, it, to me, diversity is all of that. It's it's not just, hey, let's just hire a bunch of diverse writers. Yeah, And, I and feel diverse means Latin, black, Asian. You know what yeah. I mean? It just, yeah. I think that that's the biggest thing that I 
have I see in movements and how they fade is because a movement comes in so strong sometimes and everybody's like, we're doing this and this is a movement. And then they're excluding other people. And I, I find that based on like the organization that we have and this podcast and everything that I've done in the last few years, it's been when I've included everybody right. that they've lifted me up and I've been able to be like, oh, okay, this is, but had I been afraid and been like, well, you're a man and you're not Latin or you're this. And, and then it block it actually creates this thing where you're not including people. So they feel excluded and it makes them afraid to create content for people that aren't like them. It makes them afraid to like, hear other voices because in a way and they shouldn't be afraid but I mean it just feels I think for everybody right now very sensitive yeah but I you know yes I also understand why the overcorrection happened yeah because um and it's not all over the place it's just happening in certain pockets of the industry trust me it's we're still a long way from like having 10 uh, Latina showrunners that are only hiring Latinas that's not the case I I mean but it it is happening in certain pockets but um, the point I was trying to make is that like if you the the reason it went in that direction was because I, I remember the moment I was I would keep opening deadline and it would be like pilot season and I would see another pilot sold with a Latin lead and a Latin storyline being written by a white man. Mm -hmm. And the issue I had with that was like, well, it would be fine and dandy if I was getting the chance to write Game of Thrones, but nobody's bringing Game of Thrones to me. Yeah. So at least give me the chance to tell stories about my community. Yeah. Don't give those stories to other people. Not to say that they can't write it, because writers should be able to write everything. But if you're not giving me anything, yeah, <laughs> at least give me the thing that I know I can write. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but I hope to get to a place in the business where that's not an issue anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah. like there is a pilot that a Caucasian man's writing about a Latin woman, but there's three others that Latin people are writing. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's more diverse in it in what it is. But right now that that wasn't what was happening for years. Yeah. When everybody wanted to have diversity on screen, they were more worried about the faces in front of the camera than about the people behind. Um, with the content and what was happening is that you would get scripts that were like obviously not written from from the point of view of people that really had that experience. They were just like tropes that they've seen in other movies or in other TV shows that were just being regurgitated. Yeah. Do and, you know what I mean? And I think that that's I completely agree. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's crazy. It's a lot of times I think the biggest issue is often that then the representation isn't accurate and right. then that is the bigger problem and i completely agree with that it's having all voices because you're making a show even if it is with a latin lead about every it's for everybody right. you're not saying i only want these people to watch the show of course you're targeting a uh, a group of people who maybe you know don't have as much representation and and they don't they do not have we do not have enough representation but at the same time it's like you want to make sure you know that it's all every like you said everybody's at the table everybody's included you know a good show to talk about you you made me think of this um do you watch insecure oh i love insecure okay so insecure is so specifically not just specifically african-american and female but specifically los angeles yeah african-american female but it's it's specificity is what makes it special but the universality of the storylines and the um, relationships 
is what people watch. Yeah. The specificity is what makes it interesting. If you watch that show, and I don't think that the stuff that goes on relationship-wise is that different than anybody else's relationships, but it's the specificity that makes it special. So it's finding the universality of a storyline, but then the color of it is the specificity of it is what you're like, oh, this is so different because... The characters speak differently or they dress differently or they look differently or they approach things a little differently. But there's still love stories and there's still friendship stories and those are universal, right? Yeah, yeah. So to me that that's like a special example of something that works. I love that show. I'm not an African-American woman. I watch that because I can relate to the universality of the show. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And when did you first, do you think, feel, or when did you experience representation? When did you feel that for the first time, you think? Did you have a moment? Or when did it go notice to you that maybe there wasn't enough of it? Or were you, like you mentioned, we talked about 80s black sitcom. It's I understand the feeling of relating to that. Because to me, that like Family Matters, to me, was more relatable than Family Ties. Because I yeah. didn't. Yeah. That family was a family I didn't. I really mean, I know. watched Family Ties because I thought it was fascinating. <laughs> I was like, who are these? They're together? They're not divorced? Yeah. And he's they, a politician and he's 15. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I watched that because I was just like, wow. Uh, oh, I'll never forget. There was an episode. I'll never forget this. And it was the mom, and she was singing in the shower, and Michael J. Fox hears her, right? And he says, um, he says, Oh, mom, I didn't know you could sing. You're such a good singer. And she said, Yeah, well, when I had you guys, I had to give it all up to raise you. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, I never want that to happen to me. <laughs> like, it was like, I felt like it was just who those kids were, you know? And um, they were, they had so much already. It's like she could have totally had some sort of also like little singing career situation didn't have to be little either you know but just like had some sort of pursuit of her passion and it was now that i look back at it and see where we are now 2018 i see how much of the programming right you know what i mean that was happening then i mean for me 80s sitcoms because i grew up in new york and a lot of those sitcoms took place in new york yeah so i don't know how much of it was uh it was probably a combination of seeing New York yeah. and relating it's because I was growing up in Manhattan and part of it is because I was like oh these are people of color and I understand that because I'm a person of color Yeah. Um, but I grew up in a neighborhood where everybody was pretty much Latino I didn't really understand that I was a quote unquote minority until I moved out of that community Yeah. Um, and uh, the only show that was completely relatable to me as a kid was a PBS show called Que Pasa USA which was actually like an educational show that uh, doesn't hold up if you rewatch yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but but that being said, it was like the grandparents only spoke Spanish. Yeah. The parents spoke Spanglish and the kids only spoke English. Yeah. And it was really meant to teach new immigrants how to speak English, specifically Latino immigrants. And it was from like 1977 to 1980. My guess is it because I'm I'm not that old. I probably watched the repeats. Yeah. Sort of a little older, uh, a little later. And uh I remember relating to that because that was my experience. Yeah. I was trying to learn English. My mom didn't. My mother never really learned. Yeah. And that was relatable to me because they were Cuban. Yeah. I, I'm Cuban. Yeah. Um, that was the first time I saw something on television that related to me. But that was 1980. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And then and then there was Chico and the Man. So yeah. Freddie Prince was on TV and that was amazing. But then there was like nothing. Yeah. So I would watch a lot of black shows. Yeah. Um cuz I was like Oh well, at least this is like uh, also someone of di- of a diverse background. Yeah. I don't have quite the same experience, but like I can relate to it. Yeah. Um it was it's 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 bizarre that the 80s were sort of like the golden age of this and then like the 90s hit and Friends was a big hit and then that was it. It was like every show was just a but, bunch of pretty white people for yeah. a really long time. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that when you think about Que Pasa USA, it's one, it was PBS's first sitcom they ever made. So that's, I don't think they've ever made another one, have yeah, they? Yeah, I don't think so. No, I don't and think so. I think that, you know, and they did it in a live studio audience in Miami. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I was doing Crazy. a show in Miami and Stephen Bauer showed up and I was like, <gasps> who's, oh whose name is Rocky Echevarria? In the, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. His, that's his real name. That's crazy. <laughs> he's actually, if I'm correct, he's actually credited as Rocky Echevarria in Que Pasa USA. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he changed his name just to for To German. The, yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have, I've, I never thought about changing names because I always thought, well, I want people to recognize me and then know that it was me. But one of the really funny things is there was something I went out, I was auditioning for and, and the character was not Latin and I just spoke my English that's never made any choices that made me Latin. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my reps called and they're like, they don't want to go Latin. And I was like, well, what about that was Latin? Like, there was nothing Latin in that. And they were just, and they didn't, it was like open ethnicity. And they were like, well, you know, and it's just like, I realized it's because my name is Mariana da Silva. It makes it then be like, are we wanting to go Latin or are we not? Even though it's so stupid. It's so stupid. But yeah, but (laughs) uh, when I think about that show, and I do think about him as an actor and, and who he – he said he was only acting for, like, two years when he got that. I, I watched an interview recently. And he um, – the whole show is so interesting to me because, like you said, it's it's a lot of the things that people are asking to create now. It's, like, bilingual television, inclusion, family, like, all these things. And it was being created then. And like you said, it's not a perfect show, but there's so much in it that's so accurate to just the feeling – because the feeling of, like – you would have some your mom needs to help read the mail or like my mom I'd have to be like here are my report cards this all says A exactly. and she'd be like no it does not and I'd be like mm, it's a different grading system here <laughs> um, but yeah so but that show is so wonderful and then did you always know you wanted to do television or were you ever thinking about doing film so um, this is like I think an issue in the Latin community and I would probably say the African-American community as well. Like, people don't know this is an actual career. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. I mean? Yeah. So um, I grew up basically with TV as my babysitter. I pretty much learned TV from, like, morning stuff like, you know, Electric Company and yeah. Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street oh, and all that stuff. Mr. Rogers. I know, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> um, and, and sitcoms yeah. and stuff like that. So I grew up watching that and always loving TV. And to me, TV... Um, was always like the solace like it still is i'm like yeah i'm an adult and every time i'm like super super upset and like crying about something i turn on the television you know it's like it's like a blanket yeah uh like your baby blanket but um no i knew i liked writing uh i discovered playwriting in high school i had a teacher a drama teacher that uh 
started sort of an actor playwright workshop program in high school and um, I discovered acting and being able to get through a lot of like you know angsty teenage bullshit um, (laughs) through acting and then I discovered I really liked writing and then he introduced me to some really great playwrights and I liked playwriting and then I was like Okay, and then I went to school for acting, and then after a semester at NYU, I realized I I, weren't, I wasn't with the right tribe. Yeah. Um. So I transferred to the writing department, which I did pretty easily because I had already had a published four uh, one X were published out of oh, high wow. school. I won this competition, and um. So I transferred, and then I realized I love theater, I love film, but I really love television. Like, how come we're not learning TV stuff? Yeah. And there was like one TV class. And I did, like, um, an independent study. And uh, it just, at the time, TV was not lauded as something artistic. Yeah. It was just pure entertainment as opposed to theater and film. And then, you know, TV blew up. It's, yeah. It is now, like, adult uh, storytelling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I realized in school, I was like, no, I, I really like television. I, I like the medium of television. It, it's... It's a little bit close. It's uh, if you want to do comedy, it's a little closer to theater. If you want to do drama, it's it's a little bit more like film. It sort of lives yeah. in this like middle place, and um, I really pursued it after that. I realized, oh, this is a career. I I, I want to pursue it. So that's yeah. what happened. I do think that, like you said, it's a lot of people. Sometimes they think to get into the world of film and television, they have to act. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing they go through. Mm-hmm. And I often see people who obviously find their way through it, which is a beautiful thing, you know, and there's a road. But it's very interesting to me because I always think about, you know, I and, I, and we talked about this uh, when we met for coffee, but it's the whole thing even when you go in East, you're in LA and there's so much Latin people here, but so many of them don't even know. It's such a different side of the business, you know. You can, and, it, and I think now there's more people taking different roles, but it's very interesting to me. Well, it's even, it goes beyond that. It's, it's not even just about writing, it's about yeah. the industry in general. Mm-hmm. So it's um, the reason we have diversity, quote unquote, problems in the industry is because. Everything behind the scene is not diverse enough. Yeah. So that being said, we don't have enough diverse uh, agents and executives. Yeah. And so, like, the problem is you look at people coming out of college and, like, I'm just going to go to law school. But wait, maybe you want to be an agent instead. Wouldn't that be an interesting career? It's like, it's, do you know what I mean? Nobody's, like, exposed to, like... A different thing other than what's common, yeah. especially in the Latin community, because your parents aren't going like, yeah, you should go to Hollywood and be an agent. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Latin yeah. parents are like, go be a lawyer, yeah. go be a yeah. doctor. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's not something that is is inherent to the community. Yeah. Um, so people don't know that, hey, maybe that's out there and that's something I should do. And, we, you know, I think Hollywood should do a better job of outreaching to colleges. Oh, great. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I think I think that it should be something that people realize, oh, well, this is actually an interesting career path, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always think about if you could even, you know, so many places, if you could have more Spanish-speaking people involved in general, that would be great. But not even Spanish-speaking, but people who just 
yeah, understand the culture and understand what you're doing yeah. in, in a lot of ways that even just to have another hand where if you're pitching something, I'm assuming in the writer's room, there's somebody that can back you up, yeah. you know, and say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing being on Queen of the South because, like, we have that all the time because yeah. we're primar- primarily a Latino staff. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like... But but we're um, we're pan Latino, so it's super interesting to hear like I'm Cuban and Ben is Mexican American and Jorge, one of our writers, is Puerto Rican American. So it's like we have all these sort of, and one of our writers is Mexican. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's all very we have we can go. Yeah, that's true. But how about this? This happens in my community, in yeah. my own community, which is a little different from yours. And yeah, it's it's really cool. I love that. Yeah, it's I'm really, so really excited cool. to see this next season of it. So am I. Right. I I'm excited to see it. <laughs> I have to write it first. <laughs> like, um, I was gonna ask you, what do you think? Because I I've gotten curious about this, and I think. It's something that I have my own opinion about, but what do you think makes the movement, like, for example, have waves where it feels like it's very strong right now one way and then it goes off and it normalizes for a moment and then it comes back? What do you think we can do maybe to not have that? Or what do you think is preventing us from just having from this becoming a constant? Do you think it's the conversation of diversity being everyone? And it not becoming these little gangs that are getting, not gangs, I don't want to call them, but groups that are getting so niche and then it's hard to progress? I'm not sure how to answer that question, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I think there's a little bit of uh, actual politics involved in the sense like real, real politics. I think like... um, like, I'll give you an example. So when Obama was president, it was uh, the popular shows were all about difficult men. Yeah. Um, it was Breaking Bad. It was Mad Men. It was shows about um, about men having crises yeah. in life, right? And uh, b- But that's because we had a really sort of stable government. Yeah. And everybody seemed to be happy. And people were like, let's watch real deep dramas about fucked up people, right? <laughs> And then uh, now it's comedies. Mm-hmm. So there there are, I think, psychic waves that happen based on who's president of the United States. Damn. I really do believe that. Yeah. I believe it affects it deeply. I know that um, I sold a pilot last season that was very much about uh, a woman, a Latino woman who was a hero and did all the right, all the the right the wrong things but for the right reasons yeah do you know what i mean like trying to help people and i sold it because i was like it's time for more wonder woman because we have such an ugly discourse and i feel like that happened this season if you look a little bit of the wave of some of the stuff that's on network television there's a little bit of like um and i think a little bit has to do with the preponderance of Avenger movies and stuff like that. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of like we need heroes in our life because things are so seem bleak. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think that has something to do with it. And unfortunately, I think that that's where um, a little bit of diversity comes into play as well. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like, oh, our president's black. Oh, everybody, that's great. Let's not put it. We don't need a thousand black people on TV. Our yeah. president's black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know it's like, I think it's totally, I totally think it's subconscious. Yeah. I, I think it's just totally Jungian and it's collective unconscious and it just happens. Um, I think that the more and more we have uh, more avenues for content. Yeah. 
uh, the more and more you're going to have people doing studies on who's watching what, what streaming content they're watching, and gearing uh, programming to those groups. Yeah. Um, and, like, Netflix is doing shows that are specific to Latin American countries yeah. in Spanish, you know. I, I think there's more and more uh, wanting to find those um, niche audiences, and that involves being more diverse. I mean, that, that yeah. there's that Netflix movie that's really popular right now that's an Asian-American lead. It's like a YA romantic comedy. Oh, yeah. Every I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I'm sure I'm going to love it. But everybody has, like, been talking about it because yeah. it's such a big deal because it's an Asian-American female lead. Yeah. And it's, like, a teen movie. Yeah. Everybody's watching that. Well, Do and you know supposedly, what I mean? you know, the character wasn't written Asian. Well, that's perfect. Yeah, and that's exactly what I but think we're doing this more, is. But this know? is the thing. We have to get to a place where it's open casting yeah. all the time. And yeah. it's open writing assignments. And yeah. it's like, but look, I mean, the, the slippery slope is when you just hire people just because of their last name or the color of their skin without yeah. looking at the content of their material. Yeah. Or the talent um, of their acting. Yeah. Or their abilities to produce or direct and stuff like that. I mean, we still have to show up. Yeah, <laughs> and do the no, work, I know. You know. Yeah. Um, well, we just had a Q and A with Cheech uh, this week, and he oh, said, yeah. "You can get lucky, but you always got to be good. You always got. You be good. always got to be good." And I think that that's the main message is it, because I think it does divert you and it from doing your best work. Sometimes getting. Um, you know, when you're being given opportunity based on because of the market needing what they what they want at that moment but the thing is 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 it's those things can't last if you're not staying true to just who you are of being good and not and and being your best whatever that means and i think that that's what's really what's really interesting because yeah it's um it's a, it's a thing. Yeah, and I mean, I think the the good part of yeah. the diversity movement is that for a very long time, I worked with a lot of uh, mediocre male white writers Yeah, that got through the business because of whatever buddy they had or the script was good enough, and those are the people that are going bye-bye. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> because totally. Because it's time to actually, like, find other – that's what's creating – through the diversity, that's what's happening. People are going, well, let me read this Latin writer or this black writer or yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, holy shit, this script's great. Yeah. You know what I mean? There, There's a fallacy that uh, white men are losing jobs to – that's not happening. Yeah, no. It's still majority white men yeah. getting jobs yeah. in this business. What's happening is there's a bit of a correction in, like, if you don't bring it as a white dude, you're screwed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're just going to hire somebody else because we want to hire, fill in the quote-unquote diversity slot, but that person actually is a better writer than you are. So, like, you have to show up. Yeah. You got to do the work. And I think that it's – I think that's good. That makes everybody – everybody has to up their game. Everybody. You know, you just got to – you can't just coast on – relationships and nepotism and all that stuff you actually just like have to bring it yeah you know what i mean and that's awesome and and i think that that's what's all really exciting about what's happening is you are seeing also things that are so beautiful and different and and then you're seeing some stuff that you're like well this got made because of diversity and like it's beautiful and representation is so important and so i think that that is um that is a very because you know we discuss representation versus 
none, like yeah. pro- pure proper representation versus no representation. Right. And of course, representation, I think, in a lot of ways is wonderful in it on, you know, whenever it happens. Um, how do you feel about that? Proper representation versus representation in general? Um, I mean, look, any representation is great. Yeah. If it, it uh, the more authentic it is, is the better. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like all these like non-Latin people were getting pilots and I would read them. The, the pilot wouldn't go and then my agent would be like, hey, can you read this? Because now they're thinking about going in a d- different direction. I'm like, oh, you mean hiring an actual Latin person to write a script about <laughs> yeah. Latin people? Okay, I'll look at it. And then I'd read it and go, this is not specific. Yeah. There's nothing specific about it. It feels, let's just put some Latin people in a club. Now they're Latin because they're in a club. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's just like there was nothing specific to it. I still think it's important for kids growing up to see themselves on television yeah i think it's better if they're more properly represented yeah yeah but it's but representation any representation at some point i i think it's good unless it's very very negative yeah you know what i mean you know matt damon once said in an interview that representation begins and ends in front of the camera and i feel like that's the craziest thing i've ever read because the moment you are on camera and you're doing a scene written by somebody that is about your culture but they don't know it it's the most disingenuous you can have the best actor in the world and i'm sorry it's just like there's gonna be somebody who says that's impossible that's not true to culture well, i'll give you an example i think i may have told you this story oh, i think I, I wanted you to tell me I this was, story again I, I was walking i was working i was working on a show yeah and uh i had a fantastic uh showrunner a white white man who i worked this is my second time working with this person and i loved him and he was very much about representation we were doing a show set in san antonio and he was like i'm very aware of about the population in san antonio the i'm trying to have as diverse of a staff as i can and a cast yeah and um one day we were creating a new character and that character was going to be a latino doctor and the actor that was being cast is half puerto rican and half cuban but the show is set in Texas. So he was coming to join the staff of the hospital. And we were working on an episode that was going to be like a Day of the Dead episode. And I said to my boss, well, what is uh, he playing? Like, what what are we making this character? Have you decided? Uh, I know he's Latino because he's a Latin man. You, you, you cast him. We, yeah. we cast him and we love him and he's amazing. Uh, but what are we playing? You know, he's half Puerto Rican, half Cuban. Do you want to play him as either one of those? Or are we going to play him Mexican? And he was like, why does it matter? And I said, okay, because we're doing an episode about Day of the Dead. And he's like, okay. And I said, that is not a um, thing that Caribbean Latinos celebrate. And he's like, I didn't know that. And I was like, no, it's specifically Mexican. Yeah. Um, it's very huge in the Mexican culture. So if we're playing a story where he's going to be in the middle of that, he's going to have a different attitude if it's something of his childhood or it's something that he's like, hey, I've never seen this. This is so cool. I've always wanted to be in a Day of the Dead parade. Yeah. That's a very different attitude than this is my culture. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And he was like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And he was like, that, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. I was like, he's like, what do you think? And I said, I think the actor would feel more comfortable playing Puerto Rican or Cuban. Yeah. And um, because that's what he's familiar with. Uh, not that he can't play Mexican, and I'm sure he can, you know, pass for that. We don't all look the same. Yeah. But he's like, let's make him Puerto Rican. I was like, okay. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think we made him Puerto Rican or Cuban. I can't remember. But I was like, he's coming from Miami, so the chances are he's one of those two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for you know? sure. So I was like, yeah, you know. But it was it was a great experience because he was like, that's why I hire yeah people like you that you can come in and you can school me on this. You can explain this to me. Now I know this. Now I I don't have to question this ever again. Like it's something I've just learned. Yeah, and I love that about it. You know, I think that's that's what it is. It's us having those conversations. What's the best TV show ever made, you think, in your opinion? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so hard. Or some of your top that you say, okay, if um, you're referring to good television, these are the shows that I think are important. Uh, Breaking Bad. Okay. Uh, I think it's almost perfect. Yeah. I actually think that pilot is perfect. Okay. If anybody ever wants to really see how to make a pilot i remember being in a writer's room we watched it during lunch somebody had gotten a copy of it <laughs> and there was like utter silence in the room afterwards. had it not been released yet? had it been released yet and all the writers were eating lunch and we all just kind of stopped and the episode end, ended and we all looked at each other and like why do we work for network television <laughs> it was like a breakdown yeah of, um, the Sopranos. Oh, I love The Sopranos. See, that's something I related to also a lot. Yeah. With my family being the Italian culture yeah, and the Latin so did culture. I. So yeah, did I. It feels I, very. It's it's very familiar. Yeah. My dad was a criminal, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I related to <laughs> yeah. that. Um, I would say Sopranos, Breaking Bad. Um, I think Mad Men is brilliant, but I think it had moments where it was so painfully slow that. Yeah. Um, it, it's not something that I want to run and rewatch. Yeah, you know, me neither. But I think it's brilliant. It's yeah. a piece of art. Um, when it comes to comedies, um, uh, I think Seinfeld is one of the greatest half-hour comedies to ever be on television. Yeah, I do too. Elaine is one down. of the greatest, one of the female greatest female characters ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever. She's the perfect example of somebody who. Because I also think one thing that I often was I found later because I rewatched a lot of these because I was in Brazil when yeah. I was a kid and so with her particularly and Seinfeld which I just watched two years ago for the first time she's just a perfect version of someone who can be a love interest and is also a best friend and it just doesn't dabble the line unbelievable and it's beautiful yeah it's, it's fantastic the, it's so perfectly written it, it's such a great relationship yeah and it's so great and I would say one of the most groundbreaking breaking half hours I think for women was Sex in the City yeah it's also one of the best. I actually took a, I love telling the story because I took that, um, what's that guy that teaches, Robert McKee? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to take his course because yeah. I was in the Disney Fellowship, and I was shocked. He literally got up there and said, I think Sex, is, Sex and the City is one of the most brilliantly written shows. And he, like, went into a whole episode about uh, the one where, like, uh, Samantha... I can be dirty on this podcast. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> Samantha gives a blowjob to her new boyfriend. He has uh, funky spunk. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. yeah. like, I'm in this class and he's talking about this and he's like, I think that this is the most brilliant comedy. <laughs> like, this is very bizarre. Yeah. But uh, I think it was groundbreaking for women. Yeah. It was like a really empowering moment for women on television to see yeah. these like uh, women embracing their sexuality and and being career women yeah. and not being apologetic about wanting career and love and sex and all of that and I mean it's it was it was like over the top a yeah. lot of times but I think that it was groundbreaking. I, I do think too. it opened a lot of doors for a lot of uh, amazing comedians like Amy Schumer and Sarah Silverman and like all these people to come out and like 
Um, I think that was a really important. I don't think we'd have insecure if we didn't have Sex in the City. Yeah. You well, I, I feel mean? like we wouldn't have a lot of these very, yeah. f- you know, female-driven shows. It's interesting because I also remember when Sonia Braga and Samantha had the affair. Yes. And I, <laughs> yeah. Sonia is has always been my icon. She, I remember that you know when I saw that it was. She was she's Brazilian, and so for me, it's like Brazilians are rarely ever really like on screen, except for Le- lead of my show. Yeah, that's why I her, love it her so niece. much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, but she's really the two of them have done such an incredible job of coming out of that, um, of like just being successful in Brazil and totally, here, totally. and just to still being very connected to both worlds. Which you know, Carmen Miranda was Brazilian, and she was banned from Brazil for coming here. Jesus, because she was Americanized, and even in that movie three. Caballeros, yeah. the, you know, the cartoon. Yeah. That's Carmen Miranda's sister because they were like, this won't be a hit in Brazil if Carmen Miranda's in it. Wow. So let's grab her sister. That's amazing. Yeah. And so it's really interesting. But I remember seeing Sonia and having this moment of, oh, like, tell this is television. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's yeah. HBO, but it was television. And I, I, it was just so interesting. And then when I met her and worked with her, I just... It, she's. I think she was already such an icon in Brazil, and but then also seeing what she was doing here with all of the films that she started being a part of here and all that, it was just so incredible. And yeah. and you know, it's funny because sometimes I'll say like, I'll be like, oh, Sonia Braga, like, and people will know who she is, and but she was just on Luke Cage. I yeah, think, she was she? just yeah. on Luke Cage. Yeah, she plays. and. Yeah, we did Sylvia Orta's show together, which you worked with yeah, me too, yeah. and she was just so wonderful. She was the fun, the most down to earth, which I'm sure her niece is the same way too. It's just like pure. She was so she was like doing graphic design for a friend's band because she awesome. liked doing it for fun, you know. And she ran around town trying to get a backpack. But it to me that was ultimate. Sex in the City it was so insanely. Um, progressive in so many ways i felt like there was things about it that a lot of people had problems with carrie as sure, a character sure, sure, but... but i think that also i like flawed characters no i mean that's why yeah. i just gave you all the the shows that i did yeah i'm gonna throw you a curveball okay mash oh, interesting <laughs> okay so i'm gonna throw you this curveball okay rewatch it okay um it's a the first sort of half hour single camera mm-hmm uh, they had a laugh track, which was kind of insane. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, it's the it was a comedy with dramatic elements to it. It's kind of what's going on right now with like Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Right. Watch it with that spirit. They're super flawed characters. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hawkeye is a real flawed character. Yeah. And it's kind of wacky, but then it has these episodes that are so poignant and so emotional, and these people are in such a heightened environment. Yeah. Um. It, I watched that show as a kid, believe it or not, and I was, like, obsessed with it. <laughs> I had a huge crush on Alan Alda. Oh I'm the God. weirdest child. I was a weird child. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, it's if you look at it, it's brilliant. It's really, it was ahead of its time. Yeah. Nobody was doing what they were doing on MASH. Yeah. And I feel like now we have more shows that do that, that are, like, hybrids, like Vita and um, and Atlanta and these these like interesting hybrid shows or even Orange is the New Black they're like not quite comedy it's like you know you have Oscar season comes and you're like really this is a comedy yeah <laughs> yeah you know what I mean what is this it's in? like these weird hybrid shows I think Mash was like one of the first shows to sort of do that yeah 
which is interesting to me. I want to rewatch like, it now. Yeah, it's on repeat like all the time. Yeah, on, like, I forget what. But. I rewatch so much stuff. I mean, I um, I've been trying to. I just watched Lost for the first time, and I really did think that was it's really good. The first the first season of Lost is yeah. pretty brilliant. They kind of lose the plot literally and figuratively. Well, because the writer's strike happened. <laughs> it wasn't just of. the writer's strike. I'm not I'm not certain from everything yeah. I've heard through the grapevine that yeah. they really knew what they what, what the show was about. <laughs> it feels it's funny because I said to because my dad watched it when it came out until I was like, "Dad, I'm into Lost now." And I said, "It's like they were writing Every you know you don't know what's gonna happen. They were making it up along the way, and he was mm-hmm. like, "That's why, That's why. <laughs> it didn't work." Um, but no, but the, but it's a great pilot. Yeah, again, it's a fantastic pilot. Plus the fact yeah. that they had every culture and they had yep. full on subtitles but on network okay, TV. Okay, but let's be real. Let's give props to ABC. Right. That's what I'm okay. saying. ABC has always been at the forefront of this. Yeah. They really, they weren't really, afraid really of have. subtitles. Yep. They weren't like, there's subtitles here. Somebody's going to disconnect, which I always think, I love, I love that. I mean, I the, just too. the stuff, the storyline with um, Sun, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like going back to where they're from and their culture. It's just so beautiful. I want to learn about so that So the stuff. show that I was talking about earlier that I worked on, Freddie. Uh-huh. Nobody watched that show, <laughs> but we totally uh, did the Kibasa USA thing. His yeah. grandmother never spoke English. She was subtitled. And I remember being in the writer's room, and they were like, are we doing too much Spanish with her? Is it going to be a problem? And I said, guys, we're in front of a live audience, so what's going to happen is anybody in the live audience that speaks Spanish is going to laugh, and then we're going to get a second laugh when you get people reading the subtitles. Yeah. And I was right. <laughs> I love that. It was like a double laugh on a joke because yeah. there was a delay on it. And it was ABC that let us do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm a fan of that for that network for that. They yeah. always have, they always been really huge and gave Shonda her whole career and like, you know, yeah. it's just, it's, it's awesome. And NBC is really, I mean, it's getting more and more. NBC and Fox are pretty good. CBS has a long road ahead of it, yeah. you know, but hopefully there's a big regime change there and hopefully that'll change. But, you know, we're not asking for a lot. We just want some representation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that that's what boils down. I just um, was reading, I read the MPAA reports mm-hmm. and it's very interesting when you read them because you see that the Latin community is the most constant viewer. Yeah, know? but the problem with the Latin community and why they get away with doing stuff like that is um, I worked with a producer who produced uh, Overboard. Um, the and, new one? Yeah, the okay. new one. He works with Eugenia Zerbez. And uh, he basically finally got somebody to admit to him, why should we put Latinos on screen when Latinos are watch everything? Mm-hmm. When you look at it, oh, I see they're, they're broad viewers. Yeah. They will watch anything. They don't care. So they're like, so why why should we gear material towards them? Yeah, and it's so painful to hear that. Yeah, but in general, it is because Latinos, uh, a lot of Latinos I know, they're like, oh, we watch. My cousin loves Game of Thrones. Yeah, you know, he barely speaks English. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like they're they're really just sort of um, they're consumers. They, yeah, they love everything. So. It's hard to argue, oh, they're not watching TV because they're not represented. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's interesting to that that point that you're making because, yeah, it's one of the things that I find damaging often with representation is that if you don't have – I mean, I think we all adapt and 
take thing. It's very, I'm sure you felt this, but when your parents come here from another country and then you start to grow up in this culture and then they have their culture, it becomes kind of a weird thing where you're becoming more Americanized than they are. Yeah. And so that feels weird. But I think that the thing about representation that's tough, it's like I grew up representing myself I would see more Caucasian women and be like, this is who I am like, or somebody else, you know, or in different films and things like that. But, and then I feel like I've, I lost some of my own ideal of myself until I started really tapping into understanding my heritage and all yeah, these things. Yeah, I mean, things. it's complicated a little bit for people like you and me that, yeah. quote unquote, we pass. Yeah. We can look, I look Jewish, I look Italian, yeah. I look Greek, I look... Yeah. I can, if nobody is really paying attention, I just look straight up like, you yeah. know, Connecticut waspy person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but we I didn't. wouldn't say that, but yeah. Maybe, depending on what I was wearing, <laughs> maybe. Maybe if I was wearing pearls. Uh, but, like, but point is that, like, um, we're not stereotypical of what Latin women are supposed to look like, yeah. right? So there is part of us that just relates to just watching Caucasian women on yeah. on TV. But at the same time, we lose. This is how I kind of explain it to people. I had this moment, and I feel this way still sometimes, where like I, um, I'm with my family and I'll have this moment where I don't feel like I fit in with my family. Yeah. But then I'll be like at a party with a bunch of friends and there's like nobody that's Cuban or Puerto Rican or Dominican or Latino at all yeah. there. And I suddenly am like, why am I at this party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I have it's this, completely like, like I have that. this like weird like, I know I fit in here. But do I really yeah. fit in here? And then yeah. I'm like with my mom and my sister and my whole family at like an event, and I'm like, I don't fit in here either. Yeah. Like it's yeah. like this weird, this weird thing that is a bizarre really experience of like um immigrant, uh, like first generation immigrants. Like yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah. just sort of like uh. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think like um, it's taken me a really long time to really want to embrace growing up as a Cuban American and what my heritage has been and like and, and wanting to explore that in in television and and be really um really expressive about it and you yeah. know it's part of me and it's part of who I am. So. Well and I think it is part of feeling, you know, that hopefully somebody will watch something and feel like they belong. Because I do feel I it's funny, I was I go to therapy and my therapist was like, you should just journal. And <laughs> a lot of my journals are like, I'm at I'm in the van with a lot of people. I don't belong here. <laughs> and then it's like somewhere else and I'm like, I'm in this thing. I don't belong here. And then I had this one because I went to a show where people read from their diary and I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm gonna read back from my diary. And then I had this one that said, Turns out I don't ever belong anywhere. Yeah. It's a really interesting feeling. And I think that the fun part is like what you said, tapping into it and then defining what that means for who you are now, which is this mix yeah. of things. And in a weird way, feeling like an outsider becoming a part of you, if that makes sense. Like no, accepting hear, that, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. Thank you for being here. Thank what you a for great having talk. Me. Thank this you is for so awesome. Me. Thank you so, so much. Star Bands Audio, a podcast. <clears throat>
a podcast network.